Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Philippians 4 verses 1 to 20 Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Adia, and I plead with Sintach, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through, through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Thanks, Ben. And greetings, everybody. Philippians is a wonderful letter, isn't it? It's a letter of joy. And I thought uh, today and next week, I'd share with you some thoughts on the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul, as you know, spent a, a fair bit of time in Philippi, uh, not at his own uh, request in terms of staying in jail, but nonetheless, he was there preaching the gospel, brought the gospel to Lydia and the Philippian jailer, and of course, a church was founded under the apostles' leadership. He writes this letter also from jail, most likely in Rome, Caesar's household, as he says at the end of the chapter. But he writes about joy. Paul knew what it was like to be isolated, as in fact we have all learnt in the last two months what it means to be at home, restricted, unable to get out, and probably feeling a little bit grumpy. Well, possibly, some of you. And Paul's letter has great message for us. He starts off in the first verse of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And he's been speaking beforehand of the citizenship we have in heaven, of the glory we have ahead of us. And he writes to the Philippians to encourage them to stand firm. Don't be dismayed by the opposition which the Philippians were experiencing, but stand firm in the Lord because they are his joy and his crown. He longs to see them. Uh, we, of course, long to see one another, don't we? Uh, we can't really, we can perhaps talk on a Zoom morning tea, but seeing one another face to face, that's what we long for and expect and hope for. And one day soon, let's hope the government will allow us to do that more, more ably than we currently can uh, in our online services. But the interesting thing, if you've got your Bibles open, in verse 2, after talking about the joy and crown that uh, the Philippians are for the Apostle Paul, he says, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they've contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. You Odia and Syntyche, they're not common names today. You won't find them in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of births. I don't think uh, Prash and Emily thought of that as a name, but nonetheless, because if they had a boy, I suppose it was probably more difficult. But nonetheless, here we've got you Odia and Syntyche. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you'd been in the church at Philippi and the pastor says, look, I've got a letter from Paul and I want to read it out to you now. Oh, and he says to you, oh, by the way, you're, you're actually mentioning this letter. Oh, really? Oh, how exciting. And so are you, Sintagi. <laughs> but it might come as a bit of a surprise. Well, it would have become a surprise, wouldn't it? And one wonders just what was the problem between Euodia and Sintagi? You know, it's a bit like the Archbishop coming and saying, look, I, I plead with you, uh, Susie Miller and Nancy Joyce, that you get your act together. Uh, you've been quarrelling over something or other, and I want you to be one in the Lord on these things. It'd be a bit tricky, wouldn't it, to have... I mean, I wouldn't personally use people's own names. <laughs> I'll think of Euodia and Syntyche. 
And here we have these women who clearly have been wonderful co-workers with Paul. They've been doing SRE. They've been leading their own Bible study group. They've been teaching friends or the younger women. They've been gospeling to their friends and neighbours in the city of Philippi. But for some reason, something's gone wrong. There's been that awkwardness. There's been, no doubt, a sinful disposition where they've both reacted in a way which has made Paul write and say, I plead with you, my sisters in Christ, I plead with you to be of the same mind in the Lord. The wonderful thing about Christianity is it's so practical. Paul knew that just becoming a Christian doesn't mean everything's rosy and you have no more troubles in life. Now he realized we still live in a fallen world and fractures will come even in the church of God. It may be that this verse speaks to each one of us, not just to women, not just the Yodias and Syntikis, but to the, uh, uh, the Bens and the James, uh, to think in terms of what has caused my difficulty with another member of the congregation? What ought I to do about bringing peace to be of the same mind? We can always have different opinions and different thoughts and different uh, uh, ideas of things, but we've got to be one in Christ Jesus because we are one in Christ Jesus. We've got to display that and demonstrate it in our relationships one with another. But you notice the way that Paul does this. He raises it. He has no fear about raising it publicly in the congregation. And he says, and I ask you, my true companion. Now, older translations of the Bible have um, my true uh, syzygies, which is a Greek word, which actually means yoke fellow or companion. It's possible that was his name, or it's just that he had a name a bit like Philemon, where his name meant very much what it means, namely useful. So here he writes to the Philippian church and he asks another brother to actually go and help these women. They obviously haven't been able to do it themselves, so they need that third party. When we have difficulties in the church, uh, Paul outlines this in Matthew's Gospel, doesn't he, in chapter 18. If you have a difficulty with another brother, then you go, or sister, then you go and talk to them. And if not, they can't be resolved, you bring another person into that conversation. We help the resources of the church to do this. And even in our lockdown restrictions, we can have time to think, reflect and pray about relationships which are not as good as they ought to be with members of the congregation. Or even possibly members of your own family or in your own neighbourhood. So Paul asks this true companion to help these women because they've contended side by side with me in the cause of the gospel. You know, I've often wondered what it'd be like when we get to heaven. And, uh, and I've reflected, it'd be good to find you, Odia and Sintigan, and say, what was that problem? You know, I'm, I'm, did you realise that for over 2,000 years, your names have been inscribed in this letter to the Philippians, and everyone knows about it. But what was the problem? And my guess is, they'll say, we've forgotten. Can't remember. It's all in the past. We're now one in Christ, and we are of the same mind, just as the Apostle Paul said. I think that would have taken place in their lifetime, not just in heaven. Because I think this is written here to encourage each and every one of us. Notice how he says there, they work with me along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers 
whose names are in the book of life. No greater accolade can be given to the Christian than to be told your name is in the book of life. If you look behind me, there's actually a roll of honour and a remembrance book and tablets there of people who have served in the Second World War. You'll see names like Hainsworth, Medway, Eric Seymour, for example. People whom we know, well, at least if you go to the um, 8 o'clock congregation, uh, you'll remember these people from the past. And it's a wonderful honour to serve our country. Some of these people died. But that's nothing like the honour of being in the book of life. As we reflect upon the letter of the Philippians, to think through what it means to have your name in the book of life. If God has so saved you completely, fully, taken your sins away, so you're going to have eternal glory with the saints in heaven, well, we ought to have that perspective now in this life, in our relationships one with another. Just as God has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. That's the point that Paul says, and he writes to Euodia and Syntyche, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. And then, of course, he goes on in verse 4 to say, rejoice in the Lord always. I wonder if that has a particular aspect to Euodia and Syntyche. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord not just sometimes, not just on Sundays, not just waiting till we meet together, but rejoice in the Lord always. That's what Paul's saying here. Rejoice, I will say it again. Rejoice, just in case you didn't get it the first time. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Anxiety is something which can so easily fill our lives. And I think in the last two months, since we've had the COVID-19 restrictions upon us, preventing us from our normal discourse, coming to church, going on holidays, even seeing friends, it's been very lonely. And for some people, it's been very difficult, particularly those who live alone. I wonder if it's... Uh, caused you to pray more than you have normally done. I wonder if it's given you the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord always. Because what the devil will do, he'll try to take our circumstances and make us look inwardly and become depressed and grumpy. But Paul says, no, look outward. Rejoice in the Lord always. Because our identity is in Christ. That's who we are. That's what gives us our substance, our stature, and our true worth, that we are in Christ. Therefore, to rejoice in the Lord is something which we can always do. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Uh, the Lord is near. Some translations have uh, the Lord is at hand. It's possible that the Lord is near is a reference to the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, and of course that is true. It could also mean the proximity. The Lord is near. He's actually here with us. He hasn't left us. He's come to us by his spirit. The wonderful thing about being New Covenant Christians is that we don't go to a temple to worship. The temple in which we worship are our very bodies. 
the body in which we have is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's taken up residence within us, temple residence. So therefore we are always acting in terms of worship. And therefore God is always near us. He is with us. When two or three are gathered together, he is there present by his name. But even when we were alone, God is with us. The Lord is near. Therefore your gentleness, your perseverance, ought to be evident to all. And then he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Anxiety is something which we all know all too well. There's a lovely story of a, a wealthy businessman in, uh, in America, and he was always troubled with things. He, he had anxiety dripping off his brow. And, and a friend of him said, said look, you're a wealthy man. Uh, you, you pay for people to come and do your you know, administration, your advertising, uh, your HR. You, 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 you can pay for this and pay for that. Why don't you pay for someone to worry for you? And the businessman thought, oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, I'll go and do that. So, so he went off and uh, he found someone and he paid him a fairly sizable amount of money. And, he, and his friend saw him um, a couple of months later and he said, you're looking very relaxed. You don't seem to have that anxious brow that you had beforehand. Yes, I took your advice. I went and found someone and paid him. I paid him quite a bit of money and he worries for me. He takes all my worries for me. And, and the friend said, wow, that's marvellous. But aren't you concerned about how much money you're, you're paying for this man? Oh, no, no, no. I'll let him worry about that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to have someone like that? who take your worries for you. But of course you do, don't you? The Lord Jesus takes all your anxieties. He takes those concerns and troubles. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow be anxious about itself. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's how we have the peace that passes understanding. And that's where Paul takes us, doesn't he? In the very next verse. He says, don't be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's our conversation with God. It's bringing our concerns before his throne that is the antidote to anxiety. And you know, God longs to hear us pray. He wants us to pray. When the disciples asked Jesus, how shall we pray? Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Don't know if you thought about that, but what God does there in Jesus' words invites us to be part of his purposes that we pray for his kingdom to come. God actually includes us in the purposes that he has for the world. In actual fact, Jesus will come back again partly due to our prayers. Whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, that's what you're praying for. Because God wants us to be part of his purposes. And therefore he invites us to pray. When anxieties come, 
when troubles come, when difficulties come, then we need to pray. And we need to bring our prayers and petitions, requests before God, but to do so with thanksgiving. No point being grumpy and irritable when we bring our prayers to God. Why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? Thank God for the things he's given you. Thank God even for this time of restriction and isolation. Can you do that? Do you realise that God's been in control? It's not, it's not the Prime Minister or the Premier. They're not in control. God's in control. He knows all about this coronavirus. He knows its lethal attack upon humanity. He knows too how it will end, because we don't know quite how it will end. We think, we hope, we pray for a vaccine to be discovered. But in the midst of this, how shall we then live? We live with thanksgiving. We live by rejoicing, even in the deepest, darkest hour. Remember, Paul is writing from prison. He knows what it is like to be restricted, to be in chains at times. Sometimes he had, might have uh, a greater freedom of movement, but nonetheless, often he was restricted, constrained within a small room a prison cell, as he was at Philippi. And that miraculous escape, that miraculous deliverance, which was even more miraculous because it brought about the salvation of the Philippian jailer. Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice always and pray. And he concludes in verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. At the end of verse 9, he talks about the God of peace. The peace of God, because it's the God of peace. We use this uh, blessing at the end of our communion service, as you'll recall. It's a wonderful blessing, because that's what we need, is the peace of God. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. If that's not been your experience lately, if in actual fact these months of isolation and uh, restrictions have worn you down, then read through this passage from Philippians 4. Read it over and over again until it rests within your soul that that peace of God will overwhelm you and so encourage you, inspire you and deliver you from these anxieties so that by your prayer and petition and your thanksgiving to God, you can praise your heavenly Father for all that Jesus has done. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what we should do. Turn your mind to the great things that God has in store for you. Whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, and pursue those. Put them into practice, as he says. And what would be the result? The God of peace will be with you. The Lord is near. Rejoice always in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, 
that despite the distress and calamities that he experienced, that he could rejoice always. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us that spirit of joy that would take us out of our own personal circumstances of difficulty, anxiety and fear, and that we too would rejoice because you, the God of peace, are the one who gives us the peace of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.